0: Radio Influence. Podcasting redefined. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Sitting Ringside. My name is David Penzer, and we are happy, as always, that you are here to listen to this thing. We call a podcast and this week on City Ringside, we will be joined in just a few minutes by the knockouts champion, the Virtuosa Diana Parrazzo. For those of you who tuned in to uh, listen to Ken Shamrock, um, he is suspended by Impact Wrestling as you saw last week on the show. And as part of that suspension, which uh, I thought we could still have him on the podcast, apparently we can't until the suspension's over. So we're going to have to wait a couple of weeks, but I am assured that we will have Ken Shamrock, the world's most dangerous man on this podcast, as soon as his suspension is over. So that is that and I'm not going to question it. It is what it is and you move on with life. So we're happy to have Deanna and talk to her about her unique career. And, and God, I never realized how young she is, what she's accomplished at such a young age. Uh, so, so, full disclosure, as we tape this, it is Wednesday afternoon. So I watched impact last night. Um, love to, st- that Tony Khan and Tony Schiavone were on there. Pop big for that. Uh, pop for love, the promo that, uh, Don and, um, and, and, and Kenny Omega did. Uh, and, uh, I'm thrilled to see where this is going. Cause I got no clue. So I'm just going to keep watching. I'll, I'll be watching AEW tonight and see where it's going on that end. And, um, you know, I think everybody's fired up the, you know, we were trending impact was trending number one on Twitter. We even beat out the bachelorette at one point, which I didn't think is possible. So, um, so for those of you who, who, you know, might listen to this podcast, but saw impact for maybe the first time in a while, um, if you like what you saw, uh, join us again, cause, uh, they're doing something really special there. And this, this little angle with AEW, whatever it is, and however far it goes, uh, just takes that something special to the next level. Uh, and really, uh, uh the fans that could, uh, and I, and I consider myself a fan, uh, the fans could really, you know, start thinking about, you know, where's this going, you know, and I'll ask Diana a little bit, little bit later on about, you know, who she would like to wrestle if she ever got the opportunity. No, no guarantee that that's going to happen, but I know a lot of people on social media are speculating about dream matches. So might as well go for it and see what happens from that. So we'll be talking to her about that. Um, by the way, you could Speaking of social media, you can follow me on Twitter at David Penzer, all one word at David Penzer. And um, if you like this little podcast that we do every each and every week, or try to do each and every week, be sure to uh, subscribe so it magically arrives uh, to you on Monday mornings. And be sure to um, to spread the word, leave a review if possible. So, I want to talk a little bit real quick about. Uh, final resolution this past Saturday night on um, Impact Plus. Um, The match between Rich Swan for the world title, the main event, and Chris Bay blew me away. Uh, I'm sitting there watching this match play out, and I'm thinking to myself, and this is not a direct comparison, so don't hate me on, you know, I just gave out my Twitter, and now I'm going to get all kinds of negative. How could you say that? Hear me out. And if you don't agree with me, that's cool. It's the 2020 style version of, in my opinion, of what Flair Steamboat was back in the day. It's not the same kind of psychology, obviously. There's no, fan, no more than fans in the arena. Totally different style. Um, totally different atmosphere. But I just really thought that, uh, that the the two really laid everything out on the, the table and uh, can't uh, thoroughly enjoyed the match. Was blown away by it. I know that there were a lot of uh, a lot of people in in Impact Wrestling that were blown away by that match. Uh, if you haven't watched it. Um, I would definitely recommend that you find a way to get on impact plus and, and watch that match. That match is fantastic. Um, I'd love to hear what you think of it. If you think I'm totally out of my mind, that's cool. I probably am. And I'm not offended if you tell me that, but to me it was the 2020 version of a, uh, of, of, of flare steamboat and that's high praise. It's hard to say that out loud because that's such high praise, but I, I really enjoyed it and I can't wait with this vaccine coming out, knock on wood, Hopefully they'll be doing that match in front of a thousand, two thousand, three thousand fans coming out middle of 2021. So uh, hope that works out. But um, let me know what you think about that. If you think I'm out of my mind, that's cool. Maybe you agree with me. That's cool too. So also remember, ladies and gentlemen, uh, hard to kill Saturday, January 16th. We have about a month. We're about a month off, but uh, uh, mark that on your calendars. I guess. That's the build up uh, with the AEW show uh, uh, co-promotion, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I'm assuming something happens at Hard to Kill. I don't know, Um, but uh, but I, I, I will tell you, no matter what happens, it will be a fantastic pay per view, as impacts have been as of late. So, without further ado, speaking of Impact pay per views, please welcome to City Ringside the Knockout Champion. She is the Virtuosa Diana Parazzo. Ladies and gentlemen, very happy to have as my guest this week on City Ringside. She is the Impact Knockout Champion, the Virtuosa Diana Parazzo. Try saying that uh, <laughs> when, when the uh, producer when the producer says go. Uh it's a mouthful, but
1: oh, thank you.
0: <laughs> and then uh the Hackenstown, New the, the Hackenstown, New Jersey, the whole the whole thing is I gotta write it all out so I don't scrub it. But uh no, just <laughs> hey, uh happy to work with you and glad to have you on the podcast. Um so um to start off with, uh obviously there's a lot of buzz right now around impact wrestling, and we'll we'll get to that a little bit later. But the buzz of Impact Wrestling really started around Slamiversary and the buildup to that pay-per-view. Um, and we all know the story. Uh, there was lots of free agents that became available. And, uh, you know, there was a big tease on who was going to come in. You were not a tease, uh, but you were probably the first of those free agents to be announced as signed with Impact Wrestling. Um, talk to me about the quick journey of um, – of, 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 Leaving where you were and 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 coming to Impact Wrestling and how how it was and how you felt and given the opportunity that you got that you got right off the bat to become the Knockouts Champion.
1: Yeah, um, you know it was it was interesting because I was the first um, you know if everyone has kind of come to Impact after um, after me, I was the first person to debut on Impact immediately. It was you know I think um, I was able to compete elsewhere um, on a Wednesday and that following Tuesday, I was on in-class. So, um, it was a really quick turnaround and I was just really fortunate to, um, you know, have been able to make that work. And, and Madison Ray, you know, who I give a lot of credit to for getting me the impact and you know, being one of my best friends, um, kind of got me right with Scott right away to, to be able to make all of this happen. So it was a quick transition. And then, uh, you know, for them to say like, Hey, you're going to have, um, you know, you're going to debut and you're going to be with Jordan right away and you're going to have a, a, a magic anniversary and then you're going to win the championship. It was all, um, almost like be true. And, um, what's funny is, you know, I, they told me I was going to win the title and, uh, I didn't say anything to anyone. And Madison messaged me like a couple of days later and was like, so, so you know, you're winning. Right. And I was like, yeah, but like that could change. There's no way it was It was just really um, like a fairy tale for me, and it was everything that I thought I could do and wanted to do, um, and then some, you know, uh, so that was just month one at Impact, and um, you know, we've been able to do amazing stuff, um, and I've been able to have amazing matches and, and, you know, really feel fulfilled with what I'm doing at Impact.
0: By the way, 30-plus years in the business, if I was in that situation, I would not have said anything either. So I totally get it. You never, never, uh, Hey, when I, when I, when impact brought me back, I, st- I, it took me like six months just to join up for, uh, frequent flyer stuff. Cause I didn't want to jinx myself. So I totally right. get it. Um, so talk to me about the, the impact locker room and the, the, the ladies there, uh, compared to other places that you've been, you've been around for a little while and we'll get to your journey in the business, but, uh, uh, like to always get uh, you know people's feelings as to where, where they're walking into as compared to where they've been before.
1: Yeah, I think um, you know it was a little scary for me at first to to come to those tapings uh, like towards the end of May, and uh, you know I was doing something on my own for the first time in a long time when I was you know. With this in WWE, I had some of my best friends with me at that point. And, um, you know, to, to be walking into a new place and not that I didn't know anyone, but just to be on my own, it was, it was really scary and intimidating for me. But um, there's a great group of girls um, that make up our women's division and, you know, great athletes, but even better people who, who right off the bat made me feel comfortable and, and were really excited that I was going to join the team and be a part. And I just think that's continued. Um, I think that we all aren't afraid to fail. We all aren't afraid to make mistakes and and see what works and what doesn't. And we all really want to be supportive of each other and what everyone's doing and work for each other. And I think that um, it's a really, it's a different feeling because Especially with women, there's only so many spots and there's only so many matches and there's only so many stories and and it can create a lot of competition and a lot of, you know, cattiness or what women are notorious for and, you know, um, all of those feelings and translate to when you're in the locker room. And I I don't feel that as much here, if at all, um, with our group of girls and, and even with the guys in our locker room.
0: Yeah. you you missed your buddy, Laurel Van Es by a couple of years. So. <laughs> she, she poured champagne on my head a couple of times. So, uh, <laughs> got to get her on the podcast one of these days. Um, so you got shot into slam which was a huge pay-per-view and, um, had what most people said, I'm um, not kissing butt, but what most people said was the match of the, the, the show, if not one of the better matches of the year, um, and then they throw, then they throw back at you. Hey, by the way, you guys did so well. I don't know if that was the exact conversation, but you know, we enjoyed it so much that we're going to do uh, put you in a thirty-minute Ironman match. So talk to me about the putting them, you know, working through the match and and your feeling after it, and then finding out that you had to follow that up with a thirty-minute Ironman match. Which I don't know if that's the first time that's been done for the uh, for a women's championship, but certainly. If it's not the first time, it's one of the first times.
1: Yeah, so I am the first ever Iron Woman of the. Ah, uh, there you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was um, a first ever Iron Man knockout match, 30 minutes. And um, especially just in the climate that we're in where there's no fans, um, 30 minutes is a long, long time. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's been long enough to talk about it that that wasn't the original plan. For what Jordan and I were working to and because the the response from Clammiversary um you know the the chemistry Jordan and I created that night and and the response from the fans saying it was match of the night potential match of the year for the knockout um which again is just amazing to me um they wanted us to do this 30 minute Ironman match and we were both like what the heck are we going to do for 30 minutes? Um, And especially because we had filmed some stuff that then didn't get aired to make it make sense. And, you know, it was just um, a whirlwind of changing things around and and trying to make the story make sense. But um, I think that ultimately we were able to make it all come together. And, you know, like I said, I'm the first ever I Am Woman of Impact Wrestling, so we're just going to keep adding accolades to my resume and for things that you need to say when I go to the ring.
0: Yeah, I remember sitting there and watching, you know, introducing that match and saying to myself, you know, uh, it's hard enough to go 30 minutes in a wrestling match when there's fans in the building. I, I don't know how you do it without fans in the building, but you guys pulled it out and did a great job. So kudos to that. Oh. I really, really enjoyed, really enjoyed the chemistry you guys had. Hopefully we could revisit that down the road. Um, so always fun to 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 ask and find out how uh, people discover professional wrestling. Usually, it's as a kid, but sometimes later on in life. So tell us your story, Deanna. How did you discover professional wrestling?
1: Yeah, I was I was one of those kids that um, you know I watched wrestling my whole life. Now, growing up, I was I think I was nine um, when I told my parents I wanted to be a professional wrestler. I saw um, and and don't quote me, but but Stone Cold Steve Austin hit maybe Chris Jericho, I don't know who it was, someone over the head with a chair and instantly I was hooked. And then when I saw women do it, I was like, oh, if I learned how to do that one day, I could definitely do what they're doing. Um, and that just kind of sealed my fate for me. There was nothing else in this world I wanted to do after I saw the women do it. And, um, you know, I was nine. I told my parents I wanted to be a professional wrestler. Um, there was a wrestling school like 30 minutes from me that took students at 15 years old, and I begged and I pleaded my parents to to let me sign up, and then when I could drive, I could drive myself, and I'll get a job, and I could pay for it, and they said no, Um, but then when I was 18, I I had a job. I had just graduated high school, and and there was a new wrestling school that popped up even closer that I had passed on accident one day, and uh, from that moment on, I signed up, and, and I started training.
0: Yeah. My son, when he was nine, wanted to be an archeologist and he ended up being an IT guy. So, uh, you know, a lot changes, uh, between those ages, but I I would assume that when you told them that at nine, your parents were like, all right, yeah, Deanna, whatever. And then when you told them that at 15, they were like, we thought you're going to grow out of this. Yeah.
1: I think that's, (laughs) I think that's exactly what happened. I think that they, um, were definitely like, this is a phase and she'll grow out of this. And, uh, you know, um, 26 and a half years old and I've still not grown out of it. So It's been a long, uh, what 17 years of me just babbling about wrestling to my parents.
0: Yeah. I, I, you know, I was looking up and and doing some research for this, uh, for this chat and you were born when I was, uh, taking over as the lead ring announcer for WCW and the Monday night wars were (laughs) starting. So that makes me feel old, but it's not your fault. Um, you've come a long way in a short time though, for sure. Um, So, yeah, so uh, when you finally turned 18, uh, what did the parents say? Good luck.
1: So I didn't tell anyone I was going to the wrestling school to sign up. Um, I had emailed to meet with the owner of the school um, to set up a time and Training was like Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. So I went one Tuesday and I met him before the class started and I signed up. And then I came home and I told my mom I was signed up to be a professional wrestler. And she was more upset that I had signed a contract to pay, you know, a couple thousand dollars. Um, While I was going to school full time, I had a part time job. And she was like, what happens if you can't pay for this? And I was like, well, that's what you're for. Um, So I think she she was more upset about that than me actually being a professional wrestler.
0: The story is actually funny because in hindsight, really the answer is nothing. If you can't pay it, you just don't go anymore. Well, yes. <laughs> so um, who were some of your favorites growing up, men and women?
1: Yeah, I mean, women, Tristratus was my favorite. Um, you know, I love to love her and I love to hate her. Um, and her greatest rivalries were with Lita. So Lita's up there. um and then my favorite would of course, was, you know, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Jericho, um, you know, John Cena, Randy Orton, those kinds of guys.
0: Absolutely. Um, you came to TNA very early in your career. How did that happen?
1: Yeah. So I had um, done a seminar super early in my career with Pat Kenny, um, Simon Diamond. And he um, obviously he's good friends with Robbie E., um, who was best friends with my trainer, so he kind of had a hand in training me a little bit. And when they brought Pat in for the seminar, um, like three or four weeks later, was a knockout knockdown special. And I don't know who fell through or someone wasn't going to make it and they needed an extra person. And Rob was just like, hey, you should use Diana." And that kind of put the wheels in motion for Christy Hemming to call me and figure out fire information and get me down to Florida the next day um, to film Knockout Smackdown 2014.
0: So how long had you been training at that point?
1: Oh, uh, gosh. Um, I I guess I had been training for about a year, maybe a little bit longer than that. Um, Maybe like 13 or 14 months, but uh, I had taken some time off for school and some family stuff, and then I had come back. So, really, that was my eighth match professionally. Your
0: eighth match was in TNA? Yes. Wow. <laughs> Talk about pressure. How, how no was that? Was... Were, you, were you were you too nervous <laughs> to be nervous?
1: Yeah, I feel like after. So, I was meeting with Kesmacher, and so, um, luckily, I'd met. Brooke a few times beforehand. So we were familiar with each other, but I, I didn't know anything about wrestling, you know? And, um, she had some ideas to make it like a really cool, interesting match. And Pat was like, look, like she's eight matches in, and this is her eighth match. Like this has to be old school, simple, easy, uh, because I was so nervous and I look back at it now and it's like, I didn't even know how to do a body slam properly. <laughs> like, um, so yeah, I was too nervous to be nervous, and then Rob afterwards was like, "Why are you crying?" And I was like, "This is just all a whirlwind; it's way too much." Um, I was just honestly like in awe and in shock.
0: I could imagine. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure. So, according to the internet, it says you were part of the rebirth of Women of Honor. Talk to me about how that came about.
1: Yeah, so, so that was another um, you know, opportunity that came about kind of last minute, where. Um, I had been friends with Mandy Leon for quite a while. Um, just from doing some extra work with WWE and some indies, we had met each other. And she was like, oh, I, it's my dream to, to rebirth Women of Honor and to get women wrestling back into Ring of Honor. And um, I think we can convince Delirious, the booker, um, I think we can convince him to, to give us a dark match and, and kind of see where it can go from there if you come train at the dojo with us. So I would go after work um, every week, and train for two or three hours um, in Bristol, Pennsylvania, uh, with Delirious, with Keesberger, with Mandy, in hopes that we could get Delirious to book us on a dark match. Um, And he did in July, I think, of 2015. um, And that kind of kicked it off, where they were like, okay, this got a really good response on the internet. Um, Let's see what else we can do. And then they started to book women more consistently.
0: And if I'm doing the math right, that, about that time, you just were able, right about drinking age, correct?
1: Yeah, I must have been. Yeah, I, I it might have just been after my 21st birthday, yeah. So
0: a, a lot came quick for you. So, um, uh, you know, ex-knockouts uh, champion uh, at 26, and and you've had, you know, uh, I, I don't know if people call you a veteran, but some might, um, you know, uh, what what are your aspirations moving forward uh, for somebody who's got, gained so much success at such a young age?
1: Yeah, I, well, here's the thing. I feel like um, one, I don't feel 26. I swear, I feel like a 40 year old. <laughs> In my well, that would make me
0: seven. That would make me seven. That would make me 75. So that's unacceptable. <laughs>
1: um, I, I my goals are are honestly being met every time I get to do something with impact. Um, You know, I had done so much beforehand, but I was never the focal. I was never um, the person in the spotlight. I wasn't the top. Girl, so to speak. Um, I was just kind of in the mix. I was a part of. I was there. I was never the champion. We did a women of honor tournament. I didn't win the championship. Uh, you know, I was in NXT. I didn't really do much for the two years I was there. I, I feel like my aspirations are coming true at Impact. And you know, not only have I been a one-time Knockouts champion, but now I've been a two-time Knockouts champion. Not only did I wrestle, you know, live on my first pay per view at anniversary but now I got to do it at Bound for Glory, the biggest night of our year. I decided my Knockouts championship. I get to do it again at Hard to Kill. Um I'm having these these you know big stakes matches and in these big fight field matches um that I've never had to have before. So every time I step in the ring with impact, I'm growing and I'm learning about myself. And that is that's the biggest part. This is all I've ever wanted to do. Um, and I get to do it every night.
0: I know. And I saw that you were at stardom in Japan. I've never gotten to talk to anybody who uh, was with that promotion. And I, it's always it's always fun for me to see how, you know, wrestling in other countries and other styles, uh, uh, you know, correlates. I know Japan has a lot of different styles and stardom is, I think... Um, very popular with a, a like a smaller fringe of people, but very popular with their core audience. Talk to me about the differences in, of uh, working over there for Stardom and working over here and the business over there and the business over here.
1: Yeah, it's it, it, honestly, it was an adjustment period um, because, you know, I call myself the virtuoso. I'm a Matt wrestler, but the Japanese style likes a combination of those things. And, and the first time I went, I wasn't hitting any like real hard, impactful moves. And I, I'm not like uh, a luchadora, so I don't fly. And I got influenced by a, a lot of that. Um, so it was really hard to find like what my niche was there. Um, and then the second time, adding more, you know, German suplexes and brain busters and things like that to kind of pique their interest a little bit. Um, the stardom fans really appreciate like uh, a a really hybrid style of wrestling between um, you know Japanese and American and Lucha so um, I had to like kind of finagle my way between those but still keep me Um, but that was fun too because I was 21 when I went to Japan for the first time and that was my first time um, being away from home and and experiencing a different culture and a different lifestyle um, and doing it with with a group of girls who love the same things I do. So, um, I mean, I was there with Tony Storm. I was there with Zoe Lucas. I was there with Shana Baszler and some of those girls are still my best friends to this day.
0: How, how does it work over there? Do they, is it like a dojo style? Uh, or is, do they put you in like a dorm?
1: Yeah. So they have, a um, uh, like a, like a four apartment, we call it the Gaijin apartment. And, um, basically it's like everyone who is foreign from whatever country you are they bring you into this apartment and it's, you know, a three, three bedroom, but you can get two people in a bedroom basically being roomies. So you can have like six or seven people in this apartment, um, at one time. And that is where everyone's lived.
0: Talk to me about the, um, the difference, you know, you're 21 years old. You've left, like you said, left home for the first time. You, you landed Japan. What, 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 what did you notice first and mostly that, uh, that was different about their culture from our culture.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> literally, um, we walked out of the airport, Rossi, um, Ogawa, who owns, started, um, parked in the parking garage at the airport and went to, um, the right side of the car to drive. And I was like, wait, well, who's going to drive the car because they drive on the opposite side of the car okay. Um, That was the first time that I was like, oh, wow, I'm in a different place and and, uh, I'm completely out of my element was minute one.
0: (laughs) Food good, though?
1: Oh, the food is amazing. And I, you know, I tell my boyfriend all the time, we have to go to Japan, we have to go back to Japan because, um, you know, he's never been, but um, some of the best food I've ever eaten has been in Japan, in these these small little shops. uh, absolutely amazing.
0: If the opportunity arose would you be interested in uh, maybe uh, title versus title with uh, Rich Swann?
1: Oh, you know, uh, I'd like to I see
0: love- that match.
1: <laughs> you know what? I I love Rich. I respect Rich. I think he's phenomenal at what he does and he's a, he's a crazy incredible athlete. He's resilient um, as, as hell, but Uh, intergender wrestling is not necessarily my cup of tea. Um, so I'm going to leave that for someone else like Jordan Grace or Kimberly, um, who who do, and, and do intergender wrestling and have some experience in it. Um, and I'm going to focus on, uh, breaking the arms of my women's division one by one.
0: Very interesting. So as you know, uh, and most of the wrestling world knows, um, something's going on between, uh, Impact and AEW, um, I have no idea, uh, but any of the talent that uh, if you had the opportunity to in all elite wrestling, you would uh, be eager to work with?
1: Oh, well, their role model, the face of their women's division, um, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, is my best friend. She's um, your best friend? I would love, she's one of my best friends. Is she yes. your dentist? <laughs> Um, she has worked on my teeth before. She's crazy busy um, between Aaw and the a dentist so she can't always see me so I do have a second dentist but I go to her with all my with all my teeth questions.
0: <laughs> that's, that's tremendous. you have a backup dentist. I love it. Uh, only in professional <laughs> wrestling would you have a backup dentist.
1: Oh, right, and it's funny because um, I have to get my wisdom teeth out in a few weeks. And my mom was like, well, is Britt going to do it? And I was like, no, she's not. She's busy, blah, 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 blah. And my mom like, well, make sure you ask her. <laughs> um, so my whole family trusts Dr. Britt Baker.
0: So um, um, so we have Hard to Kill coming up. Uh, as, yeah. as we record this, we don't know who you are wrestling, although you just finished wrestling as this airs. Um, Rosemary. Uh mm-hmm. on final resolution. Um who any any if you had your pick, anybody specific you'd like to work with? Uh and I guess you could throw potentially AEW people in there too. Maybe you and Brit at uh at uh, Hard to Kill.
1: I would love to wrestle Britt at Hard to Kill. I would love um to wrestle Sita uh at Hard to Kill. Um but as far as our impact roster goes, um I, you know, it's my number one right now, just because we've had some interactions, is Taya Valkyrie. She says she's the longest reigning knockout champion of all time, and I'm over it, so I would like to defeat her, break her arm, maybe pile drive her and shut her up for a little bit. Um, so definitely, Taya, um, a, a rematch with Rosemary would be great. I mean, there are so many matches that are first times for me with all of our women in uh, the Knockouts division. Rosemary I had never been in the ring with until our tag match. And the same goes for Taya. So um, I, I know there's the tag title tournament happening, and that kind of takes some women off the list. But um, if Tasha feels is available, bring on Tasha.
0: Love her and Kiera as a tag team. Love those two together. Um, so <laughs> y- you say you feel like 40 uh, and being around the business for a while, I get it. Um, but you're 26 years old. So how long do you want to keep doing this in a perfect world? And, and, and would you like to stay in the business as a producer or a trainer, or is there something else you'd like to do? You know, not a lot of people get to have the success that you've had at, at 26 years old. Yeah, I, um, I think
1: in a perfect world. I would obviously love to have a family. Um, I'd like to get married (laughs) first at some point, so someone needs to propose. Um, (laughs) But um, yeah, I'd love to start my family. And I think that. Uh, you know, by thirty, by thirty-one, that kind of reality sets in that you need to you need to get on that soon, um, or it's not going to be possible. But you know, so I'd love to be a mom one day. I am actually back in school. I'm studying history, um, so I'm working on my bachelor's degree. But I, I um, have decided that when I'm done, I'm going to go for a master's and kind of work on that as a backup plan too, and, and that'll lead me into teaching after wrestling as well.
0: Well, it seems like you have it all worked out and it's gotten good so far, so uh, good on you. Great, listen, great to talk to you. Uh, you're a delight to uh, to work with and 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 fun to watch in the ring, and uh, we look forward to seeing you. Uh, hard to kill. Until then, have a great holidays and a Happy New Year, Deanna, and thank you for being on this week on City Ringside. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Happy
1: holidays.
0: I want to thank Deanna. That was fun, and um, We'll be interested to see who she uh, wrestles Saturday night, January 16th at Hard to Kill. Um, I think there'll be a lot of interest in where the story goes leading up to that pay-per-view and uh, what we'll be seen on that pay-per-view. So be sure to join us every Tuesday on Access TV or Twitch. And every Wednesday, funny to say that, on AEW on TNT Dynamite. So um, I want to thank her and... Um, want to thank you guys. Uh, we've been doing this a long time and uh, I couldn't do it without you guys' support. Uh, again, follow me on Twitter if you don't already, at David Penzer, all one word. Curious to see what you think of my comments on the Chris Bay versus Rich Swan match this past Saturday at Final Resolution. And we will be back next week. Same time, same place, as always, with another edition of City Ringside. Until then, stay safe. I'm David Penzer, still sitting ringside. See ya. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. I'm Jerry Petock, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast.